Welcome to the 26th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, Benji tells us what we need to do to keep the flies away, and we do some quick math to figure out how unique we are when ordering coffee at our local Starbucks. Our main topic is the future of transport in cities, personal electronic vehicles. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. All right, welcome to the 26th meeting of the Junto Club. Uh, We're inspired by Benjamin Franklin, who in 1727 started his Junto Club to bring his friends and cohorts together to talk about business, politics, science, society in general, try to improve each other, learn from each other. Uh, You know, and we kind of do a similar thing. So we come with come here with topics to discuss, try to learn them a little bit more, debate them a little bit, you know, shoot the shit, all that stuff. That is the Junto Club. There's three of us. The modern version. <laughs> modern version. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the future of transportation in a little while. But first things first, Shu always brings a quote from Benjamin Franklin that we try to interpret. All right. So today's quote is, quote, uh, the busy man has a few idle uh, visitors to the boiling pot. The flies come not, end quote. Kind of difficult to. <laughs> Does it make sense? No, let me repeat. The busy man has few idle visitors, semicolon, to the boiling pot. The flies come not. All right. I think there's a that was a better narration there. So that's good. I uh I think this is an easy one this week, right? Like the first okay. sentence. There's not much interpretation. It's kind of just a statement. You know, if you're busy, you're not going to have people casually visit. And then it's an analogy <laughs> with a fly. Okay. Well, are you, Mike? Yeah. Well, I I I mean I agree with that. But I guess is it specifically saying like flies are annoyances? So it's mm. like if you stay busy and involved in your own stuff, then you're not gonna have like annoying people bothering you. Hmm. That could be the implication that idle visitors. I was thinking of them as a positive thing. You know, like oh, you know, someone just comes by to hang out and chat or something. But mm. you know, maybe Benjamin Franklin didn't see it like that. No. Yeah. And I think when I first look at it, I, I was thinking along the same line as Matt, your view, and then I was I read it a little bit more, and I the busy man. I was like, oh, is is he trying to say busy man? Like, is he trying to say busy being busy is good or bad, right? So like hardworking, something like that. Is he related to like, and has few has few idle visitors? Like idle kind of mean like your visitors now have nothing else to do, right? Kind of thing. And then as you, as my point out, the, the second part, the boiling, boiling pot, and then the flies is like something very annoying, like kind of negative, right? So, mm. so I think he's praising being hardworking and that way you have like few like idle visitors, like idle visitors, just like people have nothing else to do and they just come by and just annoying you kind of in a way, I guess. Yeah. No, I, that, I guess that's the way I saw it. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm distracted. My hair is a mess and it's my vanity is driving me crazy. 
Yes, our many listeners also want to watch for our, our excellent hair. That is the thing, you know, got to <laughs> yeah. keep it maintained. So, yeah, nice. So, yeah, the, what's Nicole on Vanity we, we talked about before? I forgot. <laughs> Whatever it is, it didn't resonate enough with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So I think even in his auto, I think he's praising that being busy and that being hardworking back in the day. I think nowadays, like you, you know, being busy, sometimes you might too, you might burn out and stuff like that, right? It's getting uh, too extreme. But back in the day, I think he's praising being busy. It was a good thing mm-hmm. back in the day because in his autobiography, he also mentioned that, okay, it's, it's good not to go around. He actually intentionally not to go around, like to show people that he's working hard. He said that way you kind of, you will get, your reputations up, right? Because he was a printer before. So he's like, oh, you need to keep your busy all the time going around, make sure people see that you're being busy too, like hardworking. So to increase your, you know, reputation in the community and the people will bring you business as well. Now you're honest, hardworking person and stuff like that. So anyway, he did mention that in his autobiography. So, yeah, so it's yeah. like, he's like the Instagram, you know, influencers yeah. who have to go around showing that they're successful to get their reputation up mm-hmm. he was ahead of the curve he was many things <laughs> you actually brought up i think one of our early quotes was about that like uh. it was it was something to the effect of you know go you know showing that you're busy right or, mm, i see you know. okay no, that's good it's true i mean well it's like the modern day like you know 90 percent of like getting ahead is just sh- like showing up, like making your presence known. Mm. So. Yeah. So. Well, name reminds me, I'll quote from Warren Buffett though. He did ask like, do you want to be known as the best lover in the world? And, but being, but being a very bad being, and but being the worst lover, but do you, but would you want to be known as the worst lover, but being the best lover? in actuality right does that mm. make sense <laughs> i see so what yeah so if you had yeah so like would you want to be would you take people thinking you're a good lover if you're a bad lover or vice versa which would you yeah. pick yeah yeah oh that's an <laughs> interesting question which would you pick Shu, if you're going to bring it up well i guess i would be I think the whole point would be in the second, right? Even though if you are, as long as you are true to yourself, being the best lover, even though it doesn't matter how well, how other people perceive you, right? So mm-hmm. hopefully, I I don't know. I ideally I would choose that one, but I don't know. Vanity is sometimes you do something is all, all, a lot of time the, the motivation is to look good, right? So, but yeah, hopefully, in ideal case, I would choose the second part. It, well, is it a prisoner's dilemma question? Like, I mean, because if it's a one-off. Then I think you take the, maybe you can take the second one, but I feel like if it's a, like, if you have a good reputation about anything, you're Uh, going to get opportunities to like, uh, you know, like, I guess get better. I mean, right. So it's the first to leverage practice. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, right. So I guess if you never get the opportunity, you're, it's like, it's not going to like, you know, what's the point? But if you're going to get many opportunities because of how you present yourself, mm. then ideally you could get better, right? Mm. So, that's true. Practice makes perfect. That's right. So this is... <laughs> I see. You're thinking in terms of like just dating once. Now you, if you have good, you're known as the best lover, you attract a lot of women and then you can improve. 
Yeah, well, yes. I mean, uh, even though you're on a worst lover, <laughs> dating is one example, but I feel like that goes for anything, right? Like, oh, if, you, okay. if you're a good interviewer, and like, mm. you, you know, even if you show up to like, you show up to your first three jobs, and they're like, oh, actually, you're pretty shitty. Like, yeah. you know, so you yeah. don't like keep the jobs for long, but every time you're getting learning and getting better. So I, okay. I, I would say that that route has. You know, uh, like you would need to have a thick skin, right? Because you need to like be willing to disappoint a lot of people. But Mm. you, uh, you know, but I I think there is the opportunity to learn. Whereas in the second case, it's like you're never really like, you're not like the point of or like the usefulness of having the skill, I think is sort of lost at that point, right? Because it's like, Uh, like people won't give you the chance. And I think perception is a big thing. Yeah. Well, anyway, I I want to say I just want to say and to uh, last point is that I think you're thinking about too hard on that one. I think I think maybe, I think I, I guess my my point is that I think Warren Buffett would disagree with us. <laughs> I don't think that was his point. So <laughs> yeah, wow. but anyway, so let's 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 move on to my what happened to this is in Mike's alley now. What happened to the Stanley Cup. Have you guys heard about what happened to Stanley Cup? Oh, it got dented. Yeah. Did you? Did you? Okay. Can you explain what happened? I mean, I, I don't. I just read the headline that it got dented. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup over Montreal yeah. in five games, and uh, Tampa Bay. This was their second consecutive Stanley Cup. Apparently, they partied really hard, and I don't know how, but the Stanley Cup got dented, and it's like a big thing because, like. It's not like there's like a separate trophy in yeah. hockey. It's like they present like the Stanley Cup to like a team each year. So yeah, so that's, that's really strange to me because I thought that you know everybody win a Stanley Cup like each year. No, I realize that actually, no, actually, some people actually when they win it and when they want it, some people actually sleep with it, take video with it, go oh, like yeah. bowling party with it, and then I was like just passing it around, right? So that's kind of strange to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a big thing. Like they mm. take it back to their hometowns and okay. you know all kinds of yeah. It's very tradition, you know. Yeah. Okay. So. I mean, if you do that, it's not surprised. You know, something's gonna happen to you, right? Yeah. Well, so it's just metal. You said dented, right? Can't they mm-hmm. just like knock that back out with a hammer? You know, on a professional. I, I'm sure there's some way they can restore it, but I, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it was a. Uh, I guess it's just like, because uh, I mean, back a lot of people, like a lot of society will just like object to, you know, like when the Bruins won the Stanley Cup, I can remember they ran up a bar tab of like half a million dollars or something. <laughs> and then it was like, and people were like, oh, that, you know, that's terrible because, you know, uh, you know I and like, I mean, it's just sort of a waste of money. And like, why would you need to do that? And it's a game and whatever. But it's like, hey, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, just professional athletics in general is like, it's sort of just one of the things in society that's like, it's it's ridiculous. Like on one hand, it's like it makes tons of money, so what are you gonna do? And you know, obviously, if they're generating that much money, they should see an, like piece of that. And two, it's sort of like you know, plenty of people, you know, act stupid and get altered on substances just <laughs> cheaply. So it's like. So it's only hockey, right? Well, NFL, they they have a new trophy for every night championship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah no, I mean it's uh, hockey is different in that way. Lord, they're frugal. Yeah. <laughs> they're smart. They're like we don't have to make a trophy every year. Is yeah. that is is that the rationale originally just to save well, money? Probably not. No, I imagine it's just. I mean, hockey. Be, well, hockey is older than. I mean, basically, I think everything but baseball. Mm. Like every, like certainly it's older than the NFL. Um, and I think it started slightly before the NBA. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I don't think it was a question of frugality. I think it was just, yeah, basically like, like I say, it's sort of a tradition, like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you and your friends have a yearly competition and this person like the person who comes out on top gets to hold the thing that says I won this year. And like mm. the next year you get back together to like who gets to claim that like prize. Okay, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. All right. So and for next topic, I think I want mini topic I want to go into is something uh I think uh Mac came late last night, so I think it caused me to really shorten my topic. So I need to get in a time back in this <laughs> conversation so i think last time we talked about startup investing and then one thing we forgot actually to i, I think i one, one concept anything startup investing i forgot to mention is something called the product market fit have you have you guys heard it before uh not that exact phrase but okay guess yeah what it, it means <laughs> yeah it just basically means like how much your customer loves your product right the product market fit is something they talk about uh you you might hear if you do any kind of startup investing so uh the best way to measure that startup like so that's one way to evaluate so sometimes a lot of investors will ask you oh the do you have product market market fit and how do you prove it right so stuff like that so i think the and the best, I think the best way to prove that you have product market fit is word of mouth. Like people, do people talk about it? And then do people like ask other people to recommend your product to other people? Because like how organic growth, right? It's not buying, uh, buying, uh, like, it's not like buying ads on like Facebook or something, right? So stuff like that. And then, so to, as an example, I want to talk about a Sriracha story. Do you guys, anything about you guys know Sriracha, right? I was the one who posted this link. You, you sure? Yeah, I posted this, didn't I? No, what are you talking about? Okay, I posted yeah. it. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Why did you post it? I saw it on, uh, I thought I saw it on Reddit. Did I not? Maybe I'm getting I, mixed I, up I, with something else. No, no. why is this link to Twitter and yeah, people link to Twitter all the time on Reddit. Okay, okay. But uh, that's yeah, where the I, story I, is. I posted it. Maybe you posted it too? I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe we both just saw it independently and then got tri- tripped up. All right. So well, if you, since you since you saw it, why don't you talk about it? It's probably what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So this is like the Sriracha, the, the bottles of the green caps yeah. and the rooster on them, which I didn't really know anything about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But basically, I was like, this is interesting, especially in our startup, after our startup discussion. Um, yeah. Cause this guy, he, he's selling $150 million worth of them and he like just started in his van and has literally spent zero on advertising and marketing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, I don't think they, I think it, they said they didn't even get like a trademark. Yeah. Like nothing. He yeah. just, he just started making it and more and more people kept buying it. So he kept making more. He kept getting mm-hmm. bigger and bigger buildings. 
Yeah. Uh, you uh-huh. know, and I'm like, and that I was going to say is that we talked about how there's other things that could make a startup successful, you know, like having a good team and stuff. But, you know, this is one of those cases where like product really is first. Like if you have a good product, everything mm-hmm. else doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, yeah, unless you just blow it in the other ways, you're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Or as Shu says, product market fit is high. Yeah, exactly. You know, he, he, as you say, he doesn't, he spent like zero dollar on advertising, you know, and so he just basically just grow it like through like word of mouth, right? So yeah, yeah. But I would say, I would say even the products, the, the founder, David, like David Tran, I think he's, he's probably very, he's a very good hustler, I guess. He's really hardworking that way. I think he grow mm-hmm. it as well. So I think he's, his effort, I think, one of the reasons that he's, he's successful, I think. Yeah. So it's product okay. and people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the backstory is that Sriracha story is actually nice. Sriracha is uh, actually invented by a housewife in Thailand kind of thing. He, I mean, she created it in the 1930s, I think, and then the recipe got passed around. And then when David Chan, David Chan's family, when, when they es- escaped like, uh, communist Vietnam to come to the U.S. and landed in like, Los Angeles, and in the eight, 1978, he noticed that there's no like, sriracha like, in the U.S. There's not, that, you know, maybe so. So that's why he said, oh, that, so he, he, he got an idea to create it and then start selling it. In his business, just like put it, put no sauce in like baby baby food bottles, like those jars, and then just sell it out of his van. So that was a uh, in the eighties, and then he just grow it. And right now, he just doesn't even. And then now he's you know a hundred dollar million revenue business, right? So mm-hmm. kind of interesting. And I I would say I think you mentioned a trademark, like trademark. He did not trademark the name Sriracha. So that's why that's why I was like, oh, that's why I see like. So many places have like even Starbucks. Starbucks have like sriracha sauce. I thought I thought maybe they partner with like sriracha, right? So maybe then now I I I I can see that like, oh they just you know using the name. So since it's not trademarked, so yeah. Now I mean I'm I I don't know necessarily how the law would work in that case. Could Starbucks try to like trademark it or like do so? Like could a bigger company try to? No, you cannot trademark. I I don't think you can trademark it anymore if it became like very popular, right? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah, it's already ahead. widely used. I yeah. mean, now it's almost like a type of sauce rather than like a brand of sauce, right? Like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. I, I'm sure there's arguments about yeah, how, like how much is per like, you know, like I guess gone into the zeitgeist or whatever, but. Um, you know, but I know, cause I know, I think Taylor Swift was trying to trademark, like shake it off or something when that song came out and like, uh, different, like different phrases. And there was a big argument about like how much that had like, I, I guess like how much that was just like a phrase versus like her phrase. So Yeah. That reminds me of the NFL trying to, so, you know, the saints symbol is the Florida de Lee. Mm-hmm. They were apparently the NFL tried to trademark the Florida Lee, and people are like, "This is like a hundreds of year old symbol used all over. Well, maybe not all over, but used for other stuff in Louisiana in particular, mm-hmm. um, with the French influence." So uh, people were like, "Get out of here!" And I don't think they won that case. I should double check, I guess. But uh, I think if you have some, maybe you have a design or uniqueness of that. Like I know, like 
you can trademark color too, right? I think Clem Clemson orange is trademark, right? Like you cannot have a Clemson orange orange, so, <laughs> right? I don't think you can use that color. I don't know. Mm. Maybe maybe Nessa is a rumor, but that's why I heard mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. But either way, I think that David Tran, he actually doesn't care about trademark. He he doesn't care about other people, like every company, other company like using, like make their own sriracha. He actually see it as a free advertising because I think most people associate sriracha with their, the sriracha with the rooster, right? So, yeah, with, with his sauce. So, yeah, anyway. Right, right. Yeah. No, Sounds I, good. It's good. It's, it's, he, he did a good job. <laughs> Yeah. It's All like right. That, so it's that yeah, classic immigrant American success story. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Anyway, anyway. Hopefully, I'm next. But you know, <laughs> get a good you, sauce going. Yeah, you. you guys cannot cannot have immigrant stories. So <laughs> true. So, all right. So I was saying last mini topic before we go into this. May be too much, but we can just cut it short. If uh, have you guys heard something called Fermi? problem um i feel like i've heard maybe e-r-m-i fermi problems yeah i feel like i've heard of it but i can't remember what it is now okay so fermi problem basically just some kind of like just estimation problems like you like any problem that does not beg of envelope calculations like oh how many uh how much like the empire state building weight those type of questions right you just need to estimate quickly, you know, how mm. uh, estimate very quickly. And Fermi, they, they call these Fermi problems because uh, he's a physicist called Fer Enrico Fermi. He actually was a physicist and then he actually created, he, he's the creator of the like, world's first nuclear reactor, actually. And and some people call him the architect of the like, nuclear age or the architect of the like, atomic bomb. And so and he also got a Nobel Prize back in 1938. So he he worked on a lot of stuff and a smart guy. So he was known for like doing very fast like estimation, like calculations, like back on the envelope calculation that engineers and physicists do all the time. But just quick, I mean, it's very relevant to business as well because you know sometimes you want to estimate how much market you are. If you want to start business, you want to estimate how much customer revenue you're gonna get, right? So you can do this kind of back on the envelope calculation. Like very fast before you, before you like do a lot of invest a lot of time to do a lot of like, uh, sophisticated calculations. So yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I so I want to start with a pop quiz. I guess how if I had a question for you guys since you guys are you know smart guys you know let's see how how you guys do. So pop quiz oh, no. for today. <laughs> uh, how many pianos tuners are there in New York City? Go. In New York City. Yeah. I'm going to say 50. How? How did you do it? Uh, How did you come out with the number? 10 million people in New York City. Okay. How many do you think play piano? How many? I mean, surely it's got to be at no more than 1%, right? Okay. Pianos are expensive. Think how rich you have to be. I mean, I guess there's a lot of rich people in New York, but how rich you have to be to get a piano like in your place right because it's not just playing piano we're talking about people who have to tune a physical piano yeah so i mean i'm thinking two or three orders of magnitude drop there and then i mean if you're a piano tuner how many pianos can you tune at least two a day right 
Mm-hmm. I've never seen anyone tune a piano. I assume it's not an all-day process. Yeah. So even just on the order of 50 piano tuners, you know, within a year should be able to tune thousands of pianos. Uh, okay. And that would seem like the right amount for, you know, the volume of New York City. That's my guess. No. The... Okay, go go ahead, Mike. No, I mean, I was thinking between 50 and 100,000 pianos. And so, like, maybe a thousand tuners. Oh, there's between, <laughs> Wait. oh, sorry, 50,000 pianos. I, yeah. For a second, I thought you just meant 50 pianos. And I'm like, I think it's more than that. No, 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 no. Yeah, 50,000 pianos. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Now, how did you come out with 1,000 tuners? I don't, it was so that more was like uh, so initially I was thinking similar to Matt like how many people would actually have p- pianos in their homes and I'm mm-hmm. like one percent maybe a tenth of a percent mm-hmm. and then like basically there's like there's only going to be able to have enough tuners like I mean each tuner is probably going to have to do like at least you know fifty to a hundred a year. Like I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what career. Like I don't know if that's a career or like that's a part time thing or. But so I guess that's why. I, so I would guess probably at most a thousand. That is mm. a good point. We don't. I don't know if piano tuners are full time or if there's more that just do it on like side hustles. But oh. yeah. Hmm. All right. What's the number, Shu? I assume you got it. So, so these estimation is not about that you the right answer is about the process how do you arrive at it yeah and but i want to know I, if i did better than mike that's right <laughs> i think so you are in the low end and then mike is in the high end so i think it's somewhere between there and like maybe 100 200 but it's 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 not really the answer and that's really important it's about the Fermi problem is how well like, i think like google like, they used to do on these interviews for like, ask people these interview questions I think uh, McKinsey like, on his big consulting firm, they used to do it too. So um, basically, they want to know how do you think, like, how do you arrive at that answer, and how do you break it down, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's why you you start with like, what's the population with the city, and estimate how many people have with pianos, and how many how many how many pianos can a like a tuner tune per day, right? And then you arrive at an answer, right? So. So the process is the, the important thing. It's not really the answer that's right, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> okay. That's good. Okay. That sounds like participation award nonsense. Okay. <laughs> Where's our good old fashioned? Well, estimation uh, yeah. is just quick, dirty, right? Back on the envelope, yeah. you do it in like five minutes or something, right? So. Well, if yeah. you ever take a you know college level physics thing, I mean, in a, an exam, you might need more precise, but physicists themselves will be like, if you're in with within an order of magnitude, they're like, okay, you basically got it, right? Yeah, that's exactly. how physicists treat problems when they're just like you know sketching things out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, let's see. The next, so the, another question is very dear to my heart is like. How many cups of coffee does a Starbucks typically sells per day? <laughs> Go. <laughs> Wait, can I ask you a question? Yeah. How how long are what's Starbucks hours? Uh, ten usually like twelve hours maybe. Usually twelve hours. Like six a.m. to, I would say let's try like twelve hours. I'll make it easy. Ten hours. 
see this is uh, this is an ill posed question because it depends on what Starbucks, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a Starbucks, it's typical in... average. You can assume that you, it, it's not. You can make assumptions, right? Any kind of assumption may may as long as it may you know as long as you make assumptions, so it doesn't really matter. What's the right answer again? All right, the Starbucks. Just want to see how you guys approach it. How do you guys approach it? I'm curious. Um, All right, Mike, you see Matt go first. Now you go first. I'll say the Starbucks in Tech Square sells, I don't know, five between 500 and 1,000 cups of coffee a day. 500 cups yeah. to 1,000? Yeah, sure. Uh, can you, uh, how do you, you get that? What assumption are you making? How do you get that number? I guess coffee, like if I assume that uh, coffee is sort of the number one selling item at a Starbucks, like okay, basically how much would they, like figuring their rent is <laughs> probably, well, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Well, I mean, so any Starbucks essentially will need to sell like enough coffee, like coffee is their probably money maker because they sell it up like way marked up compared to what it costs them to make it. So they need to sell enough to justify paying their rent. Okay. So, uh, but I don't know, I guess generally, so, I mean, I guess really the, what it boils down to is anytime I went in, there were about, I was usually the uh, roughly the fifth person in line mm. so if the, and i and if i i guess i would probably have been in there between 10 and 15 minutes okay so if i was in there say 10 minutes i was the fifth person in line then they would serve 30 people an hour mm-hmm. and basically so and I guess they're not they're not necessarily going to have that every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But say every like for 15 hours they're averaging like um yeah, so 12 hours like 12 to 15 hours they're open. So just so make it t- easy 10 hours. So for 10 hours they're open and for and every uh 10 hours they're serving 50 people like every hour of 50 every hour 50 okay and most of those people are getting coffee so roughly 500 okay all right all right that's pretty good what about you matt uh i think he's underestimating the number of people starbucks serves an hour Mm -hmm. heavily um so because i like i get what you're saying like with your standing in line but i I mean, I've been into Starbucks like three times in my life, so I have a lot of data points to think about this with. But um, they—I mean—they don't take that long, and a lot of people, some people order really quickly too. Like some people, it's like five or ten seconds, right? They're like, mm-hmm. you know, my, here's my order. They take the payment, they roll out, and like I don't think the line really matters. I think you could estimate the throughput of a Starbucks by how many orders they take, right? Mm-hmm. Or how long it takes to take an order. Because every time I've seen a Starbucks, they pretty much always had a line. So it's almost continuous. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's probably our downtimes during some mm-hmm. periods of the day, but I would say more like 30, every 30 seconds an order on average. Okay. Um, 
could be faster if it's well run at a high mm-hmm. time. But so I would say more like on the order of a hundred people an hour could be a little higher. Mm. So, you know, that's more like a thousand plus or 1200 people for 10 hours. You know, there's going to be some people who aren't selling coffee. Like you say, there's going to be some time where it's slower. So I would have said more like a thousand cups, a thousand cups. Okay. Yeah. yeah you, you look at a throughput, you look at how many they can serve in one hour, right? Well, I'm just that's thinking good. how many orders they take. Cause yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a bottleneck, right? Like if, yeah, if yeah. they take that many orders, they're selling that much. Damn, you, you, you guys, you guys are smart. That's why you deserve doctors. Because yeah. <laughs> he, because in a way, I, you see, do you see a difference between the first problem and the second problem? How'd you approach it? So tuners, it was. The first one's kind of like top down in that you're going from like the big scope yeah. and, and mm-hmm. seeing like what percentages of those, you're just kind of like what percentage right. of this set you expect to be from a larger set. Yeah. And then this exactly. one, the second one's kind of the opposite, bottom up. Like, okay, you have this much stuff happening at a time. Yeah. Like, how much accumulation over a long time? Exactly. I think so. So the first problem you start with, you have assumption of the population. How many was how many people are in New York City? You start with the population and you go it down, right? And this problem is is as you mentioned earlier, is a bottleneck problem. It's a throughput. You look at how how fast people can go through, right? So. I want to, so when I first, to honest, honestly, when I first heard that problem, actually, now it's a, another version of this problem is like estimate how many bagels a Starbucks sell, right? I, when I first heard that, I actually started with the population. I was like, okay, how many people are around this area? Like how many people, and then and then that way, and that is actually a bad way to approach this type of problem. So, so, so anyway, so that's why you guys are smarter than me. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a bottleneck problem. You estimate how many people can go through like, like a single Starbucks can handle in one hour, right? So yeah. Okay. Anyway, this, how many catch? Yeah, go ahead. This, this I actually, have, I looked it up because I couldn't resist. It's 1,500. 1,500. Yeah. So, <laughs> All right, not bad. Matt, Matt wins, but I, I specifically said Georgia Tech Starbucks. So, <laughs> I mean, the Tech Starbucks probably, I don't know. I was going to say more than average, but maybe not. Like Starbucks yeah. are crazy. Yeah. yeah. The, the Georgia Tech Starbucks in like the last few months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Okay. That's so. good. That's good. All right. All right. That's, uh, that's very good. That's very good. And then anyway, that, that's the Fermi problem. Yeah. I'm interesting I, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out how do I solve different kind of problems and then make decisions, stuff like that. And this is kind of related to it. So I also Googled though, and he's the guy who made the Fermi paradox, which is that paradox about why we haven't seen extraterrestrial life. I think we've talked about it on this. We've definitely talked about it before. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but like basically he estimates like with how many planets would be habitable for life and how many planets there are, like, shouldn't we see some? Mm Mm-hmm. So oh, what, what's, no, the, don't. what's the paradox? It, I mean, it's that, right? It, it's the evidence indicates that a large percentage of the solar systems probably have an Earth-like planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many around and the universe is not super young. So they've been around for a while. So the question is, why hasn't there been like, it kind of takes some reasonable assumptions and then says it should be, there should be lots of life in the universe, right? But instead mm-hmm. we don't see any other life. So then the question is really about, uh, why don't we see this? You know, which of these assumptions is wrong? Um, mm, okay. know, the assumption that life easily evolves, or the assumption that intelligence easily evolves, or something like that, right? Mm. 
Okay. It's extraterrestrial stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Listen to episode 22 and be bored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Which might happen soon since Richard Branson just got into space, right? And Bezos is going next. So uh, <laughs> Every well, billionaire is making a space <laughs> thing. Yes. But anyway, that's yeah. okay. All right. All right. Let's get into... Now, Mac, you can take over, get into the main topic. Okay, yeah. So I wanted to talk about the future of transport, and I'm going to make a proposition, Mm. and then I'm going to present some of the recent changes uh, in technology and society that I think all point towards this uh, happening. And my proposition... Yeah, before we go there, can can you talk about what what happened that made you interested in talking about this? Yeah, yeah. I got uh, an electric unicycle for fun slash transport in Mm -hmm. new york city uh so it's if you don't know what an electric unicycle is um think of like a bike wheel and then they slapped a motor in the middle and a battery pack on the outside and put two pedals on the side and then you just lean forward so it's like a segue kind of um but there's one wheel instead of two which makes it a lot more compact so it's it's a one wheel and i know the what's the in the beginning i what's the two wheel thing that Got fire on the time. Hoverboards. Yeah, hoverboard, but just one, almost like yeah. one wheel hoverboard, right? So one wheel in the middle, so you mm. stand on the sides rather than between the wheels, and then yeah. it's much bigger wheel, so it's more like almost like a bicycle size wheel. Yeah. Um, and there's some really there's some advantages to that because basically, well, there's a lot of what I'm going to talk about is personal electric vehicles, and there's a lot of different ones, but I mm. would argue that these are the best in terms of performance and portability, I think they're unmatched just because they're so like, it's so efficient and compact. Like it's a large wheel. And then just the minimum amount of stuff you need around the wheel to actually make it go forward with a person. Right. It's very minimalistic. So you can roll it onto a subway car. You could even put it into like overhead storage on like a plane. There's some small enough that you can put them in your backpack, although you got to get kind of like a specialty one for that. Yeah. Um, but I saw actually, a lot of people like carrying it around, right? After yeah. you're going to judge a tag, and people are just carrying it around into their lab office and stuff like that. Yeah, but but some of these here's the thing. Some of these like people talked. I'm going to just segue now into my first yeah. point: is that these yeah. personal electric vehicles (PEVs) have really gotten crazy in the last like five years. The development has exploded, and probably a lot of this started with like the bird scooters, and we've mm. seen a lot of. Um, and they've gone really crazy both in like the form factor, like the different ways these are constructed and also just the raw performance. Cause some of these, you know, they're treated sometimes are talked about as a last mile solution. Like, Oh, how do you go from like a public transit to where you want? Cause you're not going to have a station every quarter mile, right? Like how mm-hmm. do you get to there? Um, but some of these go over 45 miles per hour and have a range of well over a hundred miles. Like that's not really last <laughs> mile transportation anymore. That's, you know, starting to be car replacement. Now they are not interstate capable, but if you're in like a city, yeah. that's starting to become, and the one, the one I was talking about that you can fit into your backpack because it weighs yeah. 20 pounds and it's not that big. It has a range of almost 30 miles. It can oh, go wow. 20 miles an hour. It's not <laughs> like, it's not like something that's just like, oh, it's small. So you just put, put around like a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like that still is pretty good. Um, so my first point, oh, sorry, I forgot the thesis you distracted me my thesis is that in in cities uh i actually think personal electrical vehicles might be the dominant form of transportation in the next like 20 years um now f- again they're not 
going to, at least right now, they don't look like they'd be interstate capable. So I think the majority of, say, in the U.S., the majority of people would still need a car because they live outside of cities in suburban areas where uh, the distances are just more stretched out. Um, but for cities, I actually think PEVs might be the future. So number one is their performance and the number, the variety of form factors has exploded in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, form factor is nice because it lets people find something that fits with what they want. Um, probably bikes or e-bikes and scooters are probably going to be the most common just because those are straightforward to ride and use. So how, how many form factors are there now? Like you say exploded. Uh, yeah, well, okay. So you got like bikes and yeah. scooters, right? And then you have yeah. to also all have all these like mini bikes. Some of those are rented out, like different size, small bikes. Yeah. There's some tricycle ones. There's these electric unicycles. Um, there's electric skateboards. Um, there's obviously like classic hoverboard segways. There's skates you can get that you just stand on. And each skate's a single wheel but they're free. So you just, they're like little things like this big and one for each foot and you just step on them. And then they act independently with the same balancing system where you lean forward to push mm-hmm. forward. There's some guy in Japan who made, it looks like a tablet. It's like a 12 inch by 12 inch square, about two inches thick and it has tiny wheels. So it's just like this little tablet and this thing can easily go into your backpack. It's basically a laptop with four tiny wheels and you just step on it. And then again, you just lean and it just detects your weight and moves. Um, obviously there's more classic things like mopeds and electric motorcycles. Um, there's things that are basically electric motorcycles, but with one wheel. So like the, the electric unicycle I talk about, people usually stand on with pedals, but there was ones that have seats and handlebars and it looks like a motorcycle with one wheel, just like kind of cut in half and you balance on the top. Um, and there's probably other silly things I haven't even seen. So there's a lot of different stuff. You forgot to mention, you forgot to mention pogo stick. <laughs> I've yet to see a pogo stick. Uh, we'll see if that's the Electric. next big thing. What do you mean? There's a, there's a company called Kangaroo that's doing pogo stick rental. Like, as like e-scooter sharing, like, like no scooters, and they do pogo sticks. Oh, I forgot. There's another one, though. You can buy... So think skates, right? Yeah. But electric. But wait, they're not your shoes. You kind of... They, they like... You step on them, and they sort of like... They have like a latch thing to go, so it straps to your shoe... Yeah. And then it's got like a big wheel on the side that's electrified. So then mm. like it, it's, it's like a really weird electric skate that, you know, you attach mm. to your shoes. So anyway, there's a lot of different form factors, yeah. uh, which arguably, you know, provide different potential. And I mean, in Manhattan already, there's more e-bikes running around than regular bikes. There's probably mm-hmm. more regular bicycles, mm-hmm. but like every delivery, food delivery, DoorDash person or things like that, they're all using e-bikes. So like you go mm-hmm. count the number of bikes you see, you'll see a good bit more e-bikes than regular bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so those have exploded. And like I said, the performance has just been, I mean, it's got to level off at some point, but like the speed and range of these have just kept increasing. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, uh, is Amazon slash Amazon like services. Cause yeah. the, actually what kind of inspired me is I saw an article about an apartment complex in Canada. Okay? okay. And this apartment complex had no parking. They built zero parking spots for it. Now uh, this is supposedly in a city that has transport nearby. So it's a walkable area. But as you might imagine, there's some debate amongst locals about the existence of a place with no parking because they're concerned that their parking is going to be taken. And other people are like, oh, this is good. We need to like move away from car centered lifestyles and stuff. Mm-hmm. But someone was like, 
one of the people was arguing, it's like, okay, even if you don't have a car for like to go to work, he's like, what happens when you need to go to the store and pick up a sound system? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, I'm like, who would buy a sound system in a store, right? Like get that <laughs> shit Amazon to you. Uh, like, of course. So uh-huh. with the, with the prevalence of delivery, delivery yeah. everything, uh, especially for heavy stuff, the need for people to have, you know, a car for making trips to carry stuff is way down. Right. Mm-hmm. So like just more now, more than ever, most of your trips are just to transport yourself, not stuff. Everyone, yeah. Like our generation gets everything Amazon or delivered through other companies, right? Not necessarily mm-hmm. Amazon, but, and that's not bad because it's actually efficient, right? Is sometimes people say that's a wasteful, but. But you, you, you're talking about, I think you're talking about cities, right? Now, I, is an apartment in Canada, is it in a city or is it a suburban area? It is in a city. Yeah. yeah that makes or sense. at least city enough. It might not be the biggest city. It yeah. Might not. I didn't like start studying this canadian you know yeah. city i mean um, it might it might not look like manhattan but people pointed out that's like walkable distance to transit yeah. stores restaurants yeah and that makes sense because i think new york city even you have a car you need to pay you need to buy a parking spot anyway so a lot of people just sell their cars when they move to new york city anyway yeah 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 so anyway so yeah so uh stuff like that delivery preference so that's number two you don't, you have a lot less need to like transport stuff number three i'm going to start going faster things like uber so ride shares car shares and stuff has made it a lot easier and cheaper to get access to a car when you need it if you mm-hmm. need it occasionally right yeah. so if you're not obviously if, if you need it frequently enough someone's still going to buy their own car that's why suburbia is still going to have cars for the foreseeable future because they're going to need it with such high frequency that they'll just get it and once they have it that's what they're going to use um, but that's another factor. And then number four, we do see cities are becoming more dense and less, we'll say more car hostile or just trying to be more walkable and more friendly. There's a push both between the housing crisis and people just being like, we want more housing and the environmental crisis. There's a lot more people who are pushing away from, you know, making it so everyone needs to use a car. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the fact of the matter is cars take up a shit ton of space, right? Like in a city, if you look at the numbers, amount of space in your average city dedicated to roads and parking lots is a mm-hmm. huge amount of space. So like if you recoup some of that, you can do a lot, build a lot more housing, more parks, mm-hmm. more other stuff. Mm-hmm. And from and from a city, we'll go number five, from a city planning standpoint. Wait, what's, what's number four? Did you skip number four already? No, uh, number four was what I was just talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But number five is uh, city planning. Like, okay, so some people say the carless, there's an image of the carless future is like buses and bikes, right? Or public transit dominantly. And then people walk around from their public transit stations. And that's nice. Like, you know, oh, the city where you take a quick subway to a little area and then you can walk around that area easily. And then if you want to go a different area, you take the train again. But that's really expensive and takes a lot of pre-planning to work well, right? Like the cities are already dominated by roads, but those roads can be easily repurposed for personal electrical vehicles much more easily than building large subway systems underneath Mm. them. And then I'll, I'll go one last thing. It's compared to those things public transit personal electrical vehicles give you the luxury that cars do and that you can just go to where you want when you want right Mm, like public transport it has some conveniences but it also has some downsides namely like you have to go to a certain spot at a certain time wait they're usually time inefficient you Mm -hmm. know 
So if you're driving in a car in rush hour traffic in a city, it's going to be worse. Um, but like outside of trap, like heavy traffic, cars are usually faster for mo- okay. most things, right? Mm. So all these factors, you know, all, all these factors include, you know, point. A lot of these factors just point towards getting away from cars. And personal electrical vehicles offer a fairly fast, convenient way to make a really large, like expanded radius of what you can get to quickly and easily without mm. a car. So in cities that I think are going to continue to get more dense, I think you're going to start seeing that be a big thing. Suburbia is going to, you know, hold off on cars for a while, but yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, your definition of the personal electric vehicle is not car vehicle. It's the smaller ones that you can carry around like those electric scooters and then bikes, bikes and things like that. Yeah. 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 So things that are really, I mean, mostly what about scooter, scooter, like big scooter, those like mobile, those are kind of big. Those kind of, I think border, those border line, right? <laughs> yeah. Aren't there some like some areas in Asia where people already like drive mopeds everywhere? Like that's the oh yeah yeah China's like that's, that's everywhere. I yeah. think I mean I think you might start seeing a shift in America too, just from yeah. practicality, right? Yeah. Like I don't think most people would want to per mm. se on their own, mm. but I think for people who live in the city, then centos just might start making enough sense, right? Like it just mm-hmm. it just be like it doesn't make sense to own a car, especially if people keep, uh, I mean, cities are generally liberal, right? Left leaning, Mm. uh, you know, if they keep, if they elect people who want to make pro environmental moves and then they say, we're going to like reduce car usage, right. Then they make it a bigger hassle to use cars, which Mm. pushes people away from them, the whole goal. But yeah. Yeah. Let's come to, you're talking about electric environment. So recently I have, I think that's all news about like batteries, right? Like, they're talking about like batteries actually when you make a lot of battery you need to mine a lot of minerals and these uh that can actually be bad for the environment too so is electrical vehicles even cars and are they really good for the environment did you have any thoughts on that uh yes i do have thoughts the answer (laughs) is yes they are they are good Um, they are good so sometimes so sometimes people will look at so let's look at from like a co2 perspective for now um people talk about lifetime emissions of a vehicle and that includes both the emissions to create it and the emissions to run it. Um, so obviously a gas car um, obviously emits a lot more CO2 or CO2 equivalents while it's running, but they'll say, oh, but the electric car takes a lot to manufacture. And that's true. But mm-hmm. on one hand, the, the gasoline car takes a lot to manufacture as well. Um, and if you look at the lifetime, those electric cars are still much less than gas cars in terms of lifetime emissions, including mm-hmm. their construction um, and operating costs. Now, the other thing is, I think there is an issue with, it's not, it's not an insurmountable issue, but it's something that people need, do need to address, which is batteries. And you talked about mining lithium. So batteries, like lithium batteries are exploding in their use because um, it's cars, these personal electric vehicles, every cell phone and laptop, they're all mm-hmm. using them, right? Um, so there, and there, so there is a push. There's a growing amount of businesses uh, trying to do lithium battery recycling, which can be done. Um, it, mm. We need more of them, so we need like more lithium battery recycling. But I'm not too worried about that because it seems like there's enough market incentives to do it. Right? You can recover most of the metals in these batteries, in these lithium ion batteries. You can get the majority back because metals are good for recycling. Essentially, once you extract them, they're just good to reuse. There's not like really degrading. Metals are elements, mm-hmm. um, so you can get the majority of the lithium and the nickel and stuff back from these batteries. Uh, 
And that's a lot of money saved. That's a lot of energy and CO2 saved from having to mine it again. So I think as mm. lithium batteries, as essentially as we continue to build these huge stockpiles of lithium, old lithium batteries, you're going to see more and more uh, recycling companies. There's already new ones coming out, coming up, but you're going to see more and more uh, get created and expand to sort of fulfill this need of one, saving us from having too many old batteries just, you know, sitting around polluting and mm-hmm. two, so replenish our our uh, stocks of these valuable metals that we can use to make into new batteries. Mm. Okay. It's, so good. it's not it's not like a like it's not something we could just ignore, right? Like there's yeah. no it's not zero problems, but it's a very solvable problem. You mm. just need enough people to invest in recycling. And if, you know, and it like I said, I, I think that's probably just going to work out with the market on its own because mm. Uh, battery consumption looks like it's going to go past battery production. Like, I don't, mm. I don't know if we're actually going to be able to mine enough stuff to keep producing enough batteries as the demand for them keeps increasing, which is going to make it very profitable to try to recycle old batteries because that's going to be an alternative source, a large alternative source of these, you know, key metals and other uh, ingredients. Yeah, I think I just recently just heard a news story about night. Uh, Tesla's like, battery supplier has gone really high, exploded in valuation. Like the, the, how much the the, the, mon- the company's worth is like two hundred billion or something like that. It's, I think it's quite a lot. So as you say, it's gonna be this. That means it's gonna track a lot of uh, investment right in this area. And then I think a lot of a lot of company I try to do some different technology right instead of like maybe using nanotechnology or other stuff to do batteries improve the batteries right yeah mm-hmm. nice yeah. so going back to the so that's good so yeah so going back to the i guess a personal electric vehicle so what's the best form factor in your opinion <laughs> i mean objectively it's probably the scooter <laughs> the bird scooters it, yeah it depends on what you want like so a lot of this depends if you want to go you know, if you want the most portable, it's going to be the electric unicycle. If you just want the most like straightforward to use and balanced, it's probably the scooter. The bicycle might be the best for going farthest. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be the biggest, have the most maintenance because it's the most three, complex. Yeah. Um, you know, bicycles have the extra pedals and things like that. Yeah. You're not braking with the motor, which saves a little power. But, um, I mean, when I had a bike, so I biked around Atlanta. So, I would, you know, it's easy for me to be like, oh, I live in New York and now I say we don't need cars, right? But I biked around <laughs> Atlanta for a while. Um, I had a car, which I still yeah. used, but I used my bike to get to and from Georgia Tech where I worked. Yeah. Um, and it was a surprising amount of maintenance cost if you're using a bicycle regularly. Uh. That said, like, if you are doing a lot of distance, it's, it could very well be the best solution for you. But so, um, what well, about your unicycle that you have right now? Now, how... It's, it's, it's hard to learn there, right? For people that doesn't never like, skate before, and I can like for example, me, like me and Mike, I don't think we are very good at balancing those stuff like that. So, is can we buy those too? Yeah, well, I mean, I I wasn't ever a skater or anything. It took me, I don't know, in about two hours, I could shakily do like tur- I could do everything, even if a little rough and shaky. I could go, I could turn, I could start and stop just in the oh, open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think almost everyone could be decent at it in a few hours of practice, which is, I mean, there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it. You can be like, but I can step on, anyone can step onto a scooter and get going in about three minutes. Right. So compared yeah. to that, like, it's like, whatever, but you know, that's not that much time 
to learn it. It's a little harder than a bicycle, right? Like you can't, people can't start on a bicycle and instantly learn. It's mm-hmm. more difficult than a bicycle, but not like way harder than a bicycle. It just takes a little bit more dedicated practice. And then once you start getting the feel for it, right, it's really something your body learns. It's kind of interesting experience because mm. your body just learns how to do it on its own without you really thinking about it. Like so you, I did Yeah. Sorry. Like to, to counterbalance, the main thing you do is twist your hips left and right to like twist the device. But like, I didn't see anything that told me to do that. I was thinking more like, oh, I probably need to like lean back and forth. Uh, right. And then, you know, once I did it for a little while, like it just, it's like my body just did it. It just twisted if I started falling one way. And I'm like, oh, like afterwards, I'm like, that's how you're supposed to balance consciously. I now understand that, but my body did it first without me like thinking about it. Interesting. So me and my, if we get it, how, how long do you think we can? get go on the street once we get it uh probably would need minimum three hours to get like reasonably confident maybe uh, you want to go more like five just to get it like a little more polished and smooth before you nope. step onto a road no yeah but, like, but atlanta, among people <laughs> yeah but atlanta i know as someone who biked around atlanta it has a lot of sidewalks that are usually empty because no one walks anywhere in Atlanta because it's a car focused city. Mm-hmm. But that also means you can ride around things on the sidewalk pretty easily, conveniently. Uh, you know, I think there's some legalities about bikes belong in the road, but don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a legal advisor or a lawyer. I'm just saying there's a lot of areas in Atlanta that have empty sidewalks that are easy to ride on. I guess I, so the, the, this point she just brought up is like, I've been thinking about like, I see this being adopted by like potentially a large segment of the population, but I don't know, like in cities and I could easily see like a large, like larger segment than now, like frequently, like adopting and frequently using like these types of vehicles, but still having cars as an alternative to cars for that certain segment but i guess the two things that keep sticking in my head as to like why this maybe not be as widely as adopted as your as you may imply is like one is the physicality like just for like older bmi larger individuals like uh, yourself yes oh um, <laughs> shoot yeah so I don't necessarily, so the physicality is one. And then two, where is the city? The weather, like climate, yeah. I can see playing a role. If you're in a city where it rains, you know, a, like a Seattle or you're in New York in the winter, like I had, like there are some people who are, yes, going to layer up and take an electric bike into work when, it, you know, when four layers, but I can't imagine that's going to be like a strong contingent of people the weather is a good point so it comes to physicality it's not nothing but like i mean one you know a lot of some people who have difficulty physically doing much were the earliest adopters of personal electric vehicles right the little mobility carts they ride i mean that's like a half joke but i could i don't know what's out there for that sort of demographic right now but i could see sort of form factors that kind of split the difference right like oh it tries to be capable both as like a mobility scooter for inside but also you can like go on the sidewalk and go like at a reasonable clip for reasonable range Mm -hmm. now that you have the better technology the better batteries in particular uh to potentially supply it right um Mm -hmm. so i think you can make form fact they're not going to be on an electric unicycle bike balancing around but i think Mm -hmm. you can make these devices in ways that are uh good for people who aren't physical 
Um, so if anything, that could expand their ability to kind of live in a walkable area, right? Because people yeah. can't walk around well. Right. So maybe Rather, it's better for me and my actually to start with hoverboard, right? Good. I mean, I don't know if hoverboard as the brand is a particularly good device. Yeah. Like it kind of seems more like a toy versus transport. Uh, I guess it depends on what you want to do. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. I so why 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 don't we see hoverboard around anymore? Like you in a. I know a couple three years ago we were seeing it everywhere, right? Almost exploding, but right now it's almost like I never seen it around anymore. Out competed? I don't know. Like, but I ah. mean, you're right. I don't see them a lot, but you know, I see more than ever. Like ever since the first bird scooters were put on the sidewalks, I've only seen an increasing amount of like electric vehicle stuff used. Hmm. Um, you know, whether it's a rental thing or something people own, because I never saw people like buy their own, ride their own scooters before there were rental scooters, right? But after rental scooters were around for a little bit, I started seeing people ride their own scooters as well, yeah. once they obviously bought. Mm. Um, so it seems like my guess is hoverboard must have just been outcompeted in terms of this, like people making things for actual, you know, use to get Utility. around. Utility, yeah. But going to Mike's other point, whether yeah, you're right. So whether I think is one of whether's one of the reasons that the reality is cars if there's a road without too much traffic, a car is more convenient, right? Unless the distance is very small, like less than a half a mile. A car is probably gonna be the most convenient. Which is why in cities though, I think I think a lot of cities are gonna be moving to make car usage more expensive and inconvenient. Um for both like and i think that's actually the biggest push so because there's two sides there's kind of like the carrot and the stick there's the carrot of like oh these are getting better and you know faster and whatever um and you can say you're doing something good for the environment right so that makes people feel good um at least some people but then there's the stick of cities are gonna it i think it's gonna be increasingly difficult and expensive to use a car in a city Mm -hmm. uh in most cities um, cause we do, we are seeing this trend. It's slow. I'll give it, it's slow, but you're seeing the trend. It's not just one apartment in Canada. There's cities, even in the U S where they'll taking like a street and saying like blocking off car access, right. And just making it like a walkable area. Um, and other things like that, or people take out lanes, mm-hmm. they actually reduce the number of lanes and that can actually improve traffic through a concept called induced demand, where basically the more lanes you have, the more people want to try to drive. So cities have actually found the reverse works. If they take away some lanes in areas mm. they want to be more walkable, mm. they decrease traffic through it just because people don't bother to try to drive through it. Mm. Um, so I think you're going to, we're slowly seeing the shift now as cities start moving away from um, trying to make everything about cars. And I think that's going to be probably the more big, the, the sort of the stick, the more big driver of that is going to be of people moving out away from cars is things like that, that makes it unreasonable or unusable for them. Mm. And then, you know, and that could be what gets people to be like, oh, it sucks. I have to go in the rain today. But yeah. you know. it's like, if you don't have so, a car, well, I was going to say, if you don't have, um, like, if you don't have parking super close to where you work anyway, like having a car doesn't help you that much in the rain. Right. Yeah. So then the question is like, <laughs> you know, how often are is that going to happen? Because even in Atlanta, sometimes you have to park a decent chunk away from where you're going to, right? And Atlanta's about as car dominant of a city as there is in the U.S. So yeah, but raining actually, if you have a nice smaller small helmet on, actually, the rain actually doesn't really bother you. It's mostly your face, right? Because uh, I remember when I used to ride motorcycles, I 
Well, I was surprised when I went raining and I had the helmet on. Actually, I don't feel the rain at all. I don't really, doesn't really, rain doesn't really bother me. It's right. So even though my body is kind of soaking wet, but it doesn't really, as yeah, doesn't bother me. Yeah. Yeah. If you're geared up, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the winter in general, right? If you're geared up well, it's not that big of a deal, but it is kind of a pain to have to bring all this stuff. I know when I used to ride a bicycle, I mean, it was just a normal pedal bicycle. So the brakes were, you know, pulled wires that pushed rubber pads against the rim, mm. which meant as soon as it got raining, my brakes stopped working. <laughs> so that made it difficult because then they were wet sliding on the metal. Mm. Uh, personal electric vehicles, it depends, but a lot of them use electric braking, right? So it's actually yeah. the motors braking. So that doesn't care about uh. water. Um, and most of them are fairly water resistant. Again, there's a lot of different brands and the different types. Most of them are at least somewhat water resistant. So you mm. wouldn't want to submerge them in a pool, but they should be okay in the rain. Gotcha. So, so do you think I should start a company that like renting out like unicycles, electric unicycles? Cause no, <laughs> you don't want to rent something out that people can't ride the first time they use it. So that's a bad idea. Yeah. What you should do is you should start a battery recycling company. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So, which which like personal EV company that I should invest? I should invest in then. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. Now we're talking about this, right? It's all about Is investing. It? It's <laughs> all about investing. There's a bunch. I think that's it's good for the market, but it's tough for investors because there's so many. I'm not sure who's gonna break away, right? Yeah. Like, cause even in the unicycle market, which I'm going to just say is a niche, like it's a niche group, mm-hmm. right? That's not the dominant one. Mm-hmm. And it's never going to be the most used by a long shot. There's still like four big producers that share sales in the U.S. I do, I do like the fact that it made me taller when I ride it on the street, right? You see oh, really yeah. above a lot of people. It's like <laughs> floating here. Yeah. 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 Finally, six feet. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally, yeah. seven feet for me. That's what I've always wanted, right? Uh, so, yeah. Mike, are you going to abandon your filthy car lifestyle and get an electric scooter? Uh, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not. Like, I agree it's a good way. Like, I've used the bird scooters and stuff, and they're fine. I guess. I don't know. Like, I just genuinely don't mind walking, like, a mile mm. or two. So, it's like, I like, I sort of enjoy walking. So... Like I was never a person growing up that even really rode a bike at all. Oh so, yeah. yeah. So it's more just, uh, I guess I don't necessarily see it. Cause it's like, if it's several miles, I will drive. And if it's like two or under, I'll probably just walk. So that's, is interesting. So when I was young, my dad rode dirt bikes a lot when he was a young adult, that was like his thing. So as kids, we got a lot of motorized vehicles. So dirt bikes, four-wheelers, there's a thing called gopeds, which were scooters with gas engines on the back. I don't think anyone's ever heard of them besides for like me and my neighborhood friends, but they were a thing. Um, so there's a lot of devices. So I guess I'm kind of used to that idea. Also, yeah. I hate walking. So if it's like more than half a mile, I'm starting to complain. <laughs> it, I would not want to, like if it's something two miles, like obviously I can do it. If it's like a special occasion, right? Like, oh, we're going someplace on the weekend. I could walk two miles. But I would not want to do that with regularity. So for me, and from my perspective, I'm like, oh, this opens up what's convenient for me to walk to or just travel, kind of go almost on foot from like half a mile to being mm-hmm. like, oh, at more than half a mile, I'm kind of feeling lazy to like a few miles, right? Now I can go a few miles as quickly with less effort. Um, 
you know, and be like, boom. But that's a good point. Some people might, some people might be more tolerant to walking. I'm going to go ahead and say the average person's not. The average person's probably more like me and says, walking more than half a mile, that seems way too far. (laughs) We're talking about America still, you know, this isn't, (laughs) this isn't China or Europe. So we're still talking about the U.S. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, it's fair. I mean, I guess it's just people love their car. Like, I mean, the pandemic, right? Like, we learned, like, you know, okay, most people can do their jobs from home. Like, and even still, like, a lot of companies are moving to, like, and this is, I guess, part of my thinking. is like, a lot of companies are moving full remote or at least hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. That should, like, reduce, it, it, it's thus far, it's not working, but, like, reduce traffic, right? If that like it did for a long time, um, but it seems to be back in force. So I guess you are right that uh, people are sort of enraged by the traffic. But I guess will there? I don't know. Like, but people still show up every day in their cars. Like, will they actually like take that alternative? I mean, because in New York, it's like or New York or Boston, you may pay like a thousand dollars for a space, right? I mean, people yeah. do it. So people do it rather than taking public transport. So I'm like, I guess is this, like I say, just because of like the physicality of it, the dealing with the weather, like, is it enough to like draw people away? For Like I could see a s- subset of people, but like enough people away where it's like, oh, like essentially the cities are become like cars are like in the minority. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, know I, I would say I would say needs. I mean, the personal electric vehicle is probably the best for like, is the in between like the this the short distance they call it micro mobility, right? The distance between that. Oh, you need a car, but you know, uh, close enough that you don't really need a car, but far enough, you know, that you don't want to walk, right? right? And that's when the uh, these the these vehicles are best for, right? So it's not gonna be replace car totally, right? And yeah, so you're talking about, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, I guess New York City would be the place where it's like everything you would need is within that distance, like specifically Mm -hmm. like almost Manhattan, (laughs) because the other boroughs have their issues. But um, like, but Manhattan, sure, like it's okay if like this thing can get you three miles more conveniently than a car, like then you could pretty much use it to replace your car like in Manhattan, but even in Atlanta, like I'm thinking about there, like there's plenty of things that I do that are more than three miles away. And I don't know that there's like a good replacement within that distance. Like mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. Atlanta. You just, no. you just need to move closer to Midtown. Yeah. So no, I mean laughing, but that's kind of one of my thoughts is like, again, I think Atlanta is probably one of the worst cities for this, but even in Atlanta, if you lived in a few areas, Midtown, Downtown or Buckhead in particular, you know, you could get to everything you need within a few miles within like within five miles for sure. Right. Like if you live in one of those areas, reasonably close to the middle of it and you draw a circle five miles around you, you're going to get to everything you need. Now I'm not saying you wouldn't want to go farther occasionally. So one thing I did say is I said, it would be the, the primary form of mobility in cities, not the only, or that people would, Mm -hmm. a lot of people would use it. Wouldn't also have a car for on the side as well. Sure. Um, But so Adding to your trend, you were talking about that, you know, the phone fat exploding, people are using it more. I think recently that's one trend is going to push people to use it more is pandemic, right? I think like 
people don't want to use public transport anymore. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about how 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 crowded is the subway in New York City, Matt. Uh, I would use much? I would say probably average. Like I mean, there's been a few times I've gone where it's light. There's been some times where it's gone yeah. on it's heavy. It just kind of varies depending on like where you're yeah. going and uh gotcha. and the time. Yeah, so, I think the point is that you know I think people are probably not since due to pandemic, if they just shut down again, you know something like that. You know people is not going to use probably transportation as much as before. So one alternative is to use these kind of like micro mobility vehicles, right? Mm. I, and, I do think I think where it's really going to come come from those people who don't not people who rely on public transit, but people who rely on cars. Mm. but are maybe in a situation where that doesn't actually make as much sense. Gotcha. Cause like I said, cars are similar in that they're that personal transport, but you know, if you're used to using public transit a lot and you have that available, I could see them just being like, why wouldn't I use public transport? Mm-hmm. I assume COVID's not going to push that many away, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And well, yeah, one thing about that, I think there's a good point about like, I guess uh, jump to another point is another trend that might push this is like, even though you say Atlanta is really like terrible for it right now, but in the future, you see like city like Atlanta population is going to grow, right? And it also is just going to get more dense. You you are right now you are seeing there's so many construction everywhere in Atlanta, and you know pe- population is growing, people are going to be more dense, you know. Then you know more people actually is going to use it just by the so <laughs> the so increase of population density in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not just yeah. not just more people total, but like a higher percentage because it's yeah. yeah. In Midtown of Atlanta, there's so many apartments going up that are like skyscrapers, right? Like really high yeah. stuff. There, most of them are not building that many car parking spots, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to become more and more infeasible to have a car nearby, mm-hmm. um, more expensive and more difficult, which. Yeah, it's gonna push. In, like- in that sense, actually, Atlanta might be the perfect city for that because it's not very, very walkable, right? It's, it's, it's uh. very not very walkable, so it might be a perfect place for these electric vehicles, right? Even though you get dense, very dense, but it's not very walkable, not you near a city, right? You're right, because in Manhattan, I think a lot of people are like they already walk short distances, public transit, long, longer mm-hmm. distances, so the the need maybe isn't as good because you have a subway that brings you reasonably close to most stuff. But yeah. Atlanta is like, nah, <laughs> you yeah. have the Marta. It goes up and down and left and right on, <laughs> you know, like that's it. Yeah. So, uh, no, that's actually an interesting point. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is a lot of this is going to be economics, just pushing people initially. And then mm-hmm. I think once, I think a lot of people, once they make the jump will be like, oh, that's not so bad. But it's kind of like the first time you use Marta, right? Like if you've never done it before, there's like this there's like this mental block because you're like, you don't really know what it's going to be like. You don't really know how to do it. It's kind of like an annoying amount of effort. So you say, oh, why don't I just drive to the airport? Because mm. I don't want to figure that out. But once you've like gone and used it, you're like, oh, wait, actually that's pretty convenient to just you know Marta in rather than driving all the way down to the Atlanta airport. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just normal right? You kind of do what you've already are accustomed to, which is driving versus trying something new. So I think there, but so the question is, is there going to be enough incentives and costs to push people to try something new and abandon their cars? Mm. We'll see. It's going to be like 20 years. I'm not saying it's happening in the next five or anything, but we'll see. The only other thing I can think to sort of mention is like 
the issue of like i mean cars afford some level of like privacy and safety mm-hmm. like would these vehicles potentially like i guess a con could potentially be like you know a lack of that privacy or like a lack of safety yeah so, I don't no know. that's a potential i guess i mean I guess my first thought is they're not going to be less safe or less private than walking, right? But there are some people who might not like want to walk somewhere at a certain time of night, right? Right, right, right. I think, I mean, from what I've seen, generally it's not like, usually if you're, I mean, if you're on a vehicle and the, like, even if you're on like a bike in a road, I don't think people stop bikers much, right? To like hassle them, right? They usually just blow past, Mm -hmm. but you know, it, it is a thing. Right. It could be. Uh, I mean, it might increase your safety because if you something try to rob you, you can just hop on it and run away. You you got you can go really fast. <laughs> well, it's probably still harder to rob someone in a car, but yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. So yeah, so, I don't know. So, but I, I like I say, I think a lot of people will be using them. It's just a question of how much of the market they take, like you know, become the primary source of traffic. right. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see what cities do, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I could see some cities. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Portland started eroding more of their car lanes for like bike slash personal transport lanes. Basically, adopt bike infrastructure, but in a larger, you know, more generalized. Mm-hmm. But you know, and then that. But is every city going to do that? Probably no. <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. Houston's going to do that. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of. A lot of city right now are very more like very regulate regulating these like uh scooter sharing company like Bird, but mm-hmm. they have like designated area you can park them and stuff like that, which is, I think is pretty good. And I think a lot that's why a lot of company actually like, starting working on autonomous like not like coming to you like you order a scooter on your app you actually like coming drive the scooter to to you itself. Actually, I think it's companies starting with tether operation because someone else is in a tether operating it, controlling the scooter and driving the scooter to you, and then you just hop on. Actually, I think that's one company in Atlanta is working on it right now. <laughs> mm. That'd be cool. So, that'd be cool. Good. All right. So I was saying there was a very generally very good topic, conversation, a personal electric. I think you, you frame it as the future of transport, right? The future so say, of... <laughs> I, like I said, what I would, I'm going to suggest somewhat, you know, without true evidence or, you know, I could obviously be wrong, but transport in cities is mm. what I'm going to say. But I'll say one criticism I have for you is you did not talk about VTOL. Vertical takeoff and landing? Yeah, and the future of transport. <laughs> That's not part of the future of transport. Why not? too energy expensive free Fine. especially that's so you're like you're talking about helicopters quadrotors or something for like personal use not for personal but it could be like a uh, future of taxi right could be just a VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing right look people have been talking about flying cars since people had cars okay that's been a thing but it's bad because it's extremely energy inefficient unless so, so okay so planes kind of work because wings are actually kind of efficient for lifting you off the ground if you yeah. have a lot of forward velocity. Mm-hmm. But something that's just generating enough thrust straight up to keep you from you know falling due to gravity is extremely energy expensive, right? Like that's a lot of energy. So that's mm-hmm. the opposite of efficient and it's not a realistic thing. Like it's just, yeah. Interesting. Because... 
Neza Guang Company is going Joby Aviation. I think they are going like on a public market using SPAC pretty soon. So you, you don't think that's a good investment then? <laughs> uh, I mean, look, some rich people take helicopters, right? Yeah. Um, so, and they'll take a helicopter to like another nearby city or a different part of the city. So it's not that there's zero market for people who want to fly super fast for short mm-hmm. distance, but it's going to be a small market because I think that's going to be very expensive. So mm. I think you're basically dealing with rich people, fast transport. Um, I see. So your main criticism criticism is not energy efficient. Yeah. Uh, okay. For anything that's... Fl- Vertical takeoff and landing flying stuff is just very energy expensive, not efficient. And mm. it's and it's going to be obviously you're flying, you have, means you have a lot more safety standards, right? Mm. For good reasons, right? If you're flying over a city, you can't have this risk of like turning off and dropping because um, it threatens a lot more people than just the riders. So there's just a lot more costs, yeah. and it's not something. It's not something that can be personal, right? Because you can't just have any Yahoo. And jump in and fly themselves over the city. Uh, you know, so again, there's a lot of things that's going to make that way more expensive versus a car okay. or a bicycle. That you so what, what's your thought about jetpacks, man? <laughs> they're cool looking. They're not that's a good, personal EV, right? PEV. They're not an EV. <laughs> jetpacks well, don't use batteries. They use jet fuel. The ones I've seen, or sometimes mm-hmm. they use, what is it? Hydrogen peroxide. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen some that use like that and they push it through a filter that makes it do like a chemical transformation. Anyway, okay. they use some sort of fu- chemical fuel, not batteries. So it doesn't count. So you, you don't think that it's going to be in the future of transport? <laughs> no, not in the, we'll say not in the foreseeable horizon. Well, if someone make an electric version. Like, I mean, what's an electric jetpack? It's just a helicopter that you strap in your uh, back, right? True. Yeah. The answer is still, I don't think so. Gotcha. All right. All right. Sorry. I don't know. You're all right. That's good. Extremes. Two extremes. <laughs> no, your ICD is ruining your dreams. Uh, I'm always, yeah. look, I'm all, look, I'm always over here shooting down things. And some of those are probably actually will be successful. So you can't mm-hmm. trust me, Shu. But I'm a that's skeptic. Good. You know that. I'm like, yeah. this, this idea is not going to work. As as I say earlier before we start, skepticism skepticism got to be right, but optimism optimists got to be rich. Yeah, but which would you rather be? Obviously, right. Come optimists. on, <laughs> Yeah, which one would you rather be? Be right or be rich? Uh, My question for you. Right, I'm gonna be right. <laughs> All right. What about you, Mike? No, I'll be rich. I'd exactly. li- like. I'd rather be lucky, not good. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good place to end. Actually, yeah. All right. Well, any yeah? Do you have any con- conclusion uh, thoughts on this? You know, I've rambled a lot. I've given my reasons. I think there are a lot of things that push towards it. Mike is right in that there's some also some reasons that would probably push people to not abandon their cars hmm. and we'll just have to see what happens in the future yeah right. profound all right <laughs> profound i'm gonna take us offline my hair is driving me crazy <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> why why do you oh care gosh. about your hair because i look ridiculous so what do you why why 
why do you actually look at yourself anyway? I turn my self view off. I'm not even looking at myself. Uh, that's probably wise. <laughs> mm. So, all right, all right. Next week, I'm turning my self view off, and I'm. Am I Maybe next week you should talk about why you like to look at yourself. <laughs> talk about vanity. Next week, I'm turning y'all off and just maximizing my own image. That's right. No, I was thinking next week I might talk about healing. Healing? Yes. Ah, in what sense? You'll tune in next week. <laughs> oh, no. All right. No, 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 no. No, I think it might be like physical healing. Like, uh, I'm going to be honest. Healing makes me think of people holding crystals above you rather than like, you know. Instead of yeah. using a doctor. Well, I'll, I'll see what research I can find. It may be reduced to that, but I, I think I, like I'm more interested in like how healing changes as we age and why. Ah, mm. uh, so, okay. So. Okay, you mean like automatically instead of like you go to see a doctor, it's like how fast we heals. Right. It's like Wolverine, right? I I always want to be like Wolverine, where you can just heal yourself really fast. You know, like X Men. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. How can well, we do that? I, I, that's I, I find out next week. <laughs> all right. All right. So I'm gonna take us offline. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. We are no longer live. Kyoto Club.